I know I've talked pretty much ad nauseum about how much I love Jenny Nash's blueprint books, but now I have fantastic and new news. Her newest, Blueprint for a Memoir, How to Write a Memoir for the Marketplace is out now. Blueprint for a Memoir is your step-by-step guide to understanding your reader, your message, and the always changing publishing marketplace. From finding your why to identifying your ideal reader and the memoir books they already love, Jenny's new book is your key to the clarity and insight your work in progress might be missing. Find it on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. J. Dallantonia, and this is another episode in our Summer Idea Factory series, which we just named. Um, and so you've probably already called other things. And we are really excited today to be talking with Jenny and I, as usual, um, to be talking with Laura Vanderkam, who has lots of ideas. No. <laughs> Today's topic is nonfiction ideas and getting. Uh, getting them, evaluating them, and also sort of determining, you know, the difference between a big idea and a narrower idea. Because small idea sounds bad, um, but but it's not. So that was kind of the first thing I wanted to talk about. But first, say hi. Say hi. Hi, everybody. I'm Laura. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I always like, you know, talking with KJ and Jenny. So this is yeah. great. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, Jenny, say hi, so we're not just... Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here and particularly excited about this topic because Laura is so prolific in the nonfiction space and so many books that are so beloved. And so it's going to be fun to talk to her, her about how she gets her ideas and how she chooses them. Well, so let's set aside the small, big thing because it's going to come up because it's something I definitely want to talk about. But um so how do we think about a nonfiction idea, Jenny? Like, how do we, um, how do we, how do we, people often, I think, have sort of a topic, especially if they have a business or they have um, a specialty. They're like, okay, I'm going to write a book about uh, macrame Kleenex holders because that's what I do. But that's not really an idea, right? Also, that's not a good idea. So, but feel free to steal it. If anybody makes macrame Kleenex box holders, you you go. If you're the world's foremost expert in it, hey, <laughs> suddenly I am, and I've only just invented the term. Well, on the the fiction side, which we've been talking so much about, and a little bit the memoir side, ideas. You might have a series idea, or uh, you know, a collection of ideas that hold together, but they're they're largely their own things and a writer's trying to find their vibe and their style and maybe they branch out and that sort of thing. But on the nonfiction side, books are have kind of more of a function and and the writer is often thinking about how that book is going to function in a larger ecosystem, whether they're a speaker or a consultant or they want to be those things. They want to be a thought leader. All you know, there's there's very specific ways that nonfiction books work in the world, and I think that stems from the fact that readers are very specific about what they're looking for in nonfiction. We often go to a bookstore or ask a friend for a suggestion on a topic because we're trying to learn something or change something or understand something. So, coming up with an idea is 
a part of a bigger ecosystem usually. And uh, Laura, I think what's fascinating about you is that you you have a large topic that you have landed on that you write about, and you have so many ideas within that and nuances within that. So I guess where I'd like to start is to ask about what your strategy is in thinking about that form and function of what's a book going to do for you? How do you think about that? Yeah, well, it is true that, so I write about time management. I guess I didn't say that. Um, And time in general and how people use their time, how we can all use our time better, how we can spend more time on what matters and spend less time on what doesn't. Um, I've written sort of six books on that topic. I've written about some other things too, but that's kind of the core of, of what I've written about. And I'm always trying to come up with a different way to approach it. And the goal is to produce something that is actually useful for the readers. So it solves a problem for the readers and does so in a way that is pleasurable for them to experience. And so People have different problems. I mean, there are a million problems. The, there's billions of problems in the world. And, and, you know, within any field, there are probably millions of problems. But I'm also trying to figure out, you know, what can sustain my interest for two years? What hasn't been said, including by me? Because at yeah. some point, you do start competing with your own books. Um, and, and so I'm always trying to make sure that I'm not going to waste my reader's time. Um, because that would be a cardinal sin for a time management expert. True. So even just to come back to the question of you, as you said, you've written other, you've written on other topics, but you kind of finally narrowed yourself in on time as your specialty because you've written, uh, you've written on money um, and what I've written some fiction. I've written about careers. Yeah. There's been a couple different books. Yeah. Right. So how did you settle on time? as your topic. So this is kind of interesting because when you came to time as your topic, you were not, it's not like you had a degree in time management or a business, um, you know, managing time for people, which is not a thing, uh, but should be. Um, You, you just, so you were kind of coming at this from the place that a lot of writers might be coming out of, which is sort of like, I have a life and I have experience and I, can do research and I am a journalist and I am a reporter. Um, what am I, you know, where am I going to take this? So how did you end up with time? Yeah. I mean, I, there aren't any real qualifications for writing about time management. There's no right, and degree. I don't want to make you sound like you don't have qualifications. No, I'm not even on aren't. time like everywhere. It's, it's, I mean, it's you aren't really... that dude that sat around with a stopwatch in people's factories. That is no, conceited, I, I am but we not. don't want to hear from him anyway. And he's dead. So he has a lot of strikes against him. So it, it's true. I And it was a lot of effort to land on this, I will say. Yeah. I had been, um, you know, coming up with different, because I did want to write a book. And I had written a career book before that didn't do very well. And so then, you know, an option on it wasn't taken. So I was kind of starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in productivity-related topics, but I'm also interested in a million other things. I don't yeah. know, baseball, right? Uh, miniature dollhouse furniture, right? You know, it's all over the map. And so the question is, you know, what could I write about that I was interested in that a large enough other audience would be interested in and that could see me as somebody who might have something to say about it? Mm. So I, you know, I wrote a lot of different articles about different things, 
And I had, you know, was backing into the idea of productivity when I wound up getting a meeting with some people over at Portfolio, which is my publisher now, because they had read a book review that I wrote elsewhere on something else. And, you know, asked, if you're not on under contract somewhere, do you want to discuss book ideas? I said, yes. Um, as one does. As one does. So went in with something that was sort of half-baked, and and together we kind of angled into this 168 hours. Like, I had 168 hours, like, in the subtitle or something, and it wound up being the title, 168 hours, and then how we spend our time at work and home and how we can spend it, the the hours we have in a week, which is, you know, 24-7 is 168, how we can spend it better. And so this 168 hours came to be. And it might sound like that's the end of the story. Clearly, you know, you need to be writing about time now. But, you know, it was sort of slow out of the gate. I think it's a very good book. Um, it continues to sell as many copies per week now as it did in some of its initial weeks back then. So it's, you know, it's it's one of those books. Um, it is, for it listeners, is. a really good book. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, there are things from that book that I still refer to regularly. Well, so thank you. It's really lots good. Of lots of underlying. Yeah. Lots of underlying. Yeah, and mental, yeah. like, um, mantras that stick with me that come from that. So. Yeah. It, but so you'd think, you'd think that would be it. But, um, we didn't know, you know, it seemed to be doing okay, but wasn't wasn't awesome. And so I was like, well, what will my next book be? And so I met with the publishing team again. We're like, well, let's write a version of 168 Hours that's about money. And so then I wrote a book called All the Money in the World, which did even worse, right? I mean, it's, you know, again, I thought it was a good book, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a crowded space, personal finance, and I was a little bit different than a lot of the books in the market. But in the course of writing that, I also wrote a short ebook called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. That was about productivity and morning routines. And for whatever reason, I don't know, title, a couple good media hits that we got on it when it came out, it, it did incredibly well. Um, so, you know, it was, was top of the charts and a bunch of different things. And um, so, so then it was like, oh, yeah, okay. So time management is the thing. I just have to make sure that I'm always coming up with angles that people really do find interesting because then there's books that sort of have the long slow burn there's also the books that make a big splash it's kind of you know if if you have a portfolio of books it's it's helpful to have some of both i imagine right well as someone who really knows your your work um when i look at 168 hours and all the money in the world i see you sort of looking at so you write from a position of um of abundance. And I don't mean that you have all, you know, I don't mean you are rich and have all the time. I mean, your attitude awesome. is a position of, <laughs> yeah, here you go. We're done. Um, no, I mean that your attitude is a position of abundance. The way that you look at time is we have a lot. What do we do with what we have? Everyone is given a lot. Um, or even, it's, it's more of a mindset thing. Think of it as a lot. And you looked at money in the same way. Think of it as a lot, even if you don't have, you know, have, a and I think people found that frightening. And <laughs> so that may be, but so you could see a vision of your career where you go at everything that way. Imagine, I don't know, uh, imagine your physical strength as something that you have a lot of. How do you use it? Imagine your Love. Uh, vacation Love. hours as something that you have a lot of. How do you use But that, you know, when the money version of that didn't sail, instead you, you kind of went back and doubled down on the time version. And I'm just, it's, it's just, these are two different approaches to, to the no next nonfiction idea that you were in the yeah. middle of. And 
Yeah, it can always, I mean, go a bunch of different ways. And and I've also, you know, the more I've been doing it, the more I've realized I like to do original research. Um, yes. That as, as my you. audience community has, has grown, I have access to a lot of people who are willing to, you know, fill out surveys, who are willing to try different things. Um, and, and so, you know, as part of trying to approach a topic in a new light, um, I've realized that one way to do that is to come up with something that people haven't done before just because nobody has done that research before. And I can then produce a project out of the results. Right. I want to go back to something that that you said, Laura, because it almost exactly mirrored something that KJ talked about, which she calls the airport game, where she when she's in an airport, it has to do the listeners have heard all this, but it has to do with looking at what's in the airport and what's selling and and then because if it's in the airport it's selling right (laughs) and and what can i write that's like this and you know she can't write michelle obama she can't and what you said was you're looking at that venn diagram of what do i what am i interested in that other people will be interested in that i can write and it was almost exactly the same phrasing and and concept which is just so... And this is why we get along so well. <laughs> right. I think we, we should shine a light on that because there's the extreme ends of that on on nonfiction would be the, the Kleenex box cover person who... I don't know why we're throwing that person under the bus, but, you know, like I have this thing that I'm passionate about that I love that I'm going to write about and not think about the reader at all. And then there's somebody way on the other side who's maybe trying to game, like, you know. Last week's bestseller list was this. I'm going to write something that fits into that. And then, you know, a year in they're just kicking themselves. Yeah. Right. And you're, you're bringing those things into alignment and I would like to hear how you think about that. How do you, how do you, you talked about a lot of things you're interested in. So how do you hone in on what do I want to spend the next two years writing? And then how do you hone in on what do people, well, you said there's so many problems in the world to solve. Like, how do you do that honing? I'd like to hear about that. Well, sometimes I test ideas out um, through newsletters, through blog posts, um, through articles, different places. Um, I had written, you know, a, an article called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast that, uh, you know, got a lot of hits the first time it existed. And then, you know, when it existed again, it, it got more hits the second time. Um, so sometimes it's that you find out a title is particularly catchy that way. That's why I'm still floating around with, I, I'm, I'm going to call a novel The Norwegian Secret to Enjoying Winter, because it turns out that that is a highly clickable <laughs> title as well. <laughs> I haven't been able to turn that into a time thing yet. But uh uh, you know, it, titles what, are important. Titles are it's important. Just a, it's just a moment to sort of stop on. Um, I've written an entire, I wrote it, one of my most popular pieces. I came up with the title first. It was, uh, am I introverted or am I just rude? Um, <laughs> not, not only do people love it, but an artist took that clip out of the New York Times and made art out of it, which I now own a print of, because the title was so great. So I think people don't, would mock that as a way of getting at things. But I I mean, the fiction that I'm working on right now is partly, I came up with a title that I think is gonna, um, you know, make people grab the book. And there's, you're not gonna write 
a formula like there is no formulaic thing about the Norwegian secret to enjoying winter that you're going to write that is like bad and sell out and and something we should dismiss just because you came up with the title first sometimes you come up with the title and then you know you 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 work with it i i don't know that's yeah. i feel like people would reject that as a way to go but i think it's actually really good yeah, well, because you need some, you know, central thing to anchor yeah. yourself and your entire book project, too. And you can write it without a title and come up with a title at the end. But if you have a really good title from the get-go, it can be a focusing um, thing for you as you are writing. Like, does this fit with this? Does this advance that argument? And and so yeah. forth. When I was doing How to Be a Happier Parent, it had two possible titles. And one of them was Happier Parent, and the other one was uh, This Should Be Fun or some variation on fun. And it was really like when we finally settled on the title, I had to go back through the whole book and, and, you know, make sure that the things fit because fun, it's the same. It's the same book. They would be, but the way that you framed the chapters was going to be different and the chapter headings were going to be different. So yeah, I mean, it, it really matters. It does. It does. And sometimes we've had to fight for titles. Um, you know, yeah. and we are like, I know I have a good title. I want to stick with it. And it's uh, focusing for me. Um, but yeah, I've tested out ideas. And if you know, it's, it's good to know, like, if you get a lot of crickets um, from a concept that you're writing about, like, you're like, I find this fascinating, and everyone else like snore. Yeah, that is a sign that you're going to be pushing hard. It doesn't mean you can't write about it. Right. But it means that it's going to be a lot of labor to get people interested in it. Um, maybe it's something that you want to incorporate into a larger work um, as, as a chapter that, uh, you know, you can indulge yourself in or bring people around to. And so there's something to keep in mind with that. But yeah, you know, you try ideas out like that. Or, you know, if you have a central thing that you're arguing against, something if, you know, a lot of the culture has been saying X and you want to say Y and you have good evidence on that side, that can be a very focusing um, right. thing for writing a, a book too, because then that provides, you know, context to, to the argument that's out there. So you also talked about cannibalizing your own self or being, a, being that's a danger that you don't want to compete against your own self. How do you think of I how do you think about that? Because oftentimes what writers are thinking is, oh, Laura Vanderkam's written about time, I can't write about time. Or somebody else has already done that, I can't do that. But you're you're kind of doing that with your own self. How how do you think about that? Well, it is it is hard and I'm I'm glad that when people recognize um that it that it is hard. I, I there are certain emails from readers that you keep, right? Like notes from readers you keep. And I had one I got a couple of weeks ago that I was so like, oh, because it was like, you know, I just read through all your books. I guess she'd found Tranquility by Tuesday and then decided to read through my entire back catalog. And she's like, you said something different in every single book. And that seems like it would be really hard to do. And I'm amazed Aww. you did it. And I was like, oh, let me frame that. <laughs> Put that up on the wall. Um, so yes, I, 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 I'm, you know, feeling seen on that, on that one. I think it's about you know, being very careful. Like, can I create something new out of this? If I am revisiting a point I've made before, can I bring something new into it? Um, can I, you know, write about obviously different people? Can I, you know, explore a different angle of this? Um, you know, and just being familiar with what my other work is. And if I find anything is getting too close to that, I want to go in and make sure that it, you know, I 
cast it in a slightly different light. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, that's also about, you know, choosing your topics that you need to um, really think about it. Is it, is this an angle I have done before? And if it is, then we need to do this slightly differently or come up with, you know, all new research supporting some angle of it or something along those lines. And the, the opposite of that for, for some writers, I find a lot of people that come to me when they're working on their first book have like five ideas and they're, and they're trying to pick among them about which to do first and, and thinking about, you know, are these five ideas really two ideas? Are they, uh, should they be in a particular order? That sort of thinking, how, how would you speak to somebody who is in that boat and they're trying to pick that first idea? Well, I mean, you definitely want to go with your biggest idea first, um, because that's what's going to allow you to write about the other ones. You know, it's it, it's hard enough to keep a, a publishing career going. Uh, you know, it really helps to have some wind in your sails as you go into your subsequent book ideas. But, you know, you might be able to combine a couple of them if you really think about them. And, you know, what what is the common thread of all of these? There might be ways to get at more of them in the course of one book. And, and sometimes that makes for a better book um, just because there's more material, you know, that you're not going to find yourself repeating the same thing because you're trying to cover more ground. Um, in in the number of you know the word count that you you have, yeah. I was thinking that with 168 hours, I wound up I had a couple of different book proposals, and I wound up sort of merging two of them to get this you know chapter outline that I wound up with, and that made it feel like it was bigger um, because mm-hmm. they're you know covering covering more more ground. But you know I think if if, if there are incompatible ideas, like they're not you know going to work, you're, you're then. Go with whatever you feel most compelled to write about. Like this is the book, like or or even think about it this way: if you found out that you know somebody else got a book contract to write about one of these, which one would make you most pissed off? Right? Oh, that that's such were... a good question. That's a good way to think about it, <laughs> KJ. So you said the thing: big idea. Go with yeah, your big and idea. Yeah, I was going to come to that. <laughs> so there will be in this summer um, idea factory series a moment when I inc- offer to you all a, a um, clip of Jess Leahy and Peggy Orenstein talking about the difference between a big idea and a small idea and this was highlighted to me because so Peggy Orenstein is the author of um, uh, girls and sex and boys and sex and then she's also got a more recent book called uh, sheep or so it's knitting the what I learned by knitting the world's most ugly sweater. And I don't remember the the title title at the moment. Um, and so we were talking about how girls and sex and boys and sex are big books. What I learned from writing the world's most knitting the world's most ugly sweater is not a big book. It, calling it a small book sounds wrong, but it's not. You know, it's been very popular. It's doing very well, but it's not a big idea book. So that I guess that's the way to, to look at it. And, and there's even a thing called the Next Big Idea Book Club, which is Malcolm Gladwell and Susan Orlean and somebody else picking books. Maura Aaron's Mele was a guest on the podcast in the spring, and her book is a big idea book because it's called The Anxious Overachiever or The Anxious Achiever. So there's this sort of question of what's a big idea and what's a... Like, 
narrow our ideas can make great books like the sweater thing um i don't, I don't know I've, I've got just a, a pile of nonfiction stuff here um so i'm coming i'm <laughs> it feels bad to call people's books small books but. Well, it's not so much small, but I, I, I would say it might not be best for your first one out of the gate right. then. It's because some of that do girls and sex before your sweater. Before your sweaters. Um just because it if you have a following already and you have people who love your stuff and will buy whatever you produce, they will buy the small book too. And they will talk about it and they will, you know hopefully expand the audience from from your core group to others. But there are fewer people who are just going to pick that up because they're like, ooh, fascinating, you know, right. knitting sweaters. I mean, you know, there's, well, there's it also, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't create the room for you to maybe move to the other thing. I mean, you know, if, you've, if what you've done is books about knitting and sweater and now you want to write about girls and sex, people might be kind of like, yeah, but your audience wants sweaters. Sweaters, they want sweaters. <laughs> Well, the problem that I encounter is that often people want to start their career by writing, well, we're just going to go with small book because they have fallen in love with somebody else's small book. Yes. So I'm thinking about, there's this beautiful little book called Making Toast by Roger Rosenblatt, the um, journalist, and Making Toast was, was what he did after this tragic thing where his adult daughter died and he and his wife i think in their 70s be became the primary caretakers for these little kids and they all had different ways of liking toast and he wrote a whole book about basically learning what my grandchildren eat for breakfast and and it's just this spectacularly beautiful heartbreaking little book and people will say I mean, that's not a super popular book, but that one's what popped into my mind. People will be like, I want to write a book like Making Toast. Eat, Pray, Love and, should have been a small book. Right. And, and, and I, don't mean, and I mean, I happen to be one who loved it. But yeah, you look at that and you think, I could do that. A, you probably can't. Yeah. And B, it's, it just might not be the best place to start. Right. Right. So, so how do you think big about an idea? Well, I mean, one way is to consider, you know, what are the headlines about it, right? If, you know, you were on the Today Show about something, is it, you know, unless you are already famous, it's probably not going to be about how you learn to make your grandchildren's breakfast. Um, that's right. not a topic that they have a normal person on talking about. Um, right. Whereas if you are saying something that is genuinely new and is supported and people haven't thought of it that way before, then, you know, and, and it affects a broad group of people. Um, so I, I think, you know, broad enough group of people haven't thought about it that way before. Um, and, and, you know, and, and in some way, there's something new to peg it to. Those are the things that make for a, a bigger book. Right. So like so mixing are you, two uh, things that haven't been mixed before you know i'm gonna take the uh, the, the biblical approach to macrame cleaning kleenex boxes <laughs> <laughs> she's just digging that hole deeper and deeper um and i just want to Laura, tell you that i'm you... envisioning it like hanging like a pot you know in macrame like, well i mean i can tell i mean so stuff hanging off it's gonna be great I I mean, well, with one of my books, so I wrote a book called I Know How She Does It a couple of years ago. And to come up with this book, 
I did a really large time diary study of 1,001 days in the lives of women who had big jobs, which I you know, defined as earning $100,000 or more a year, and who also had children at home. So the question is, you know, how do you have it all, right? How do you have a big job and raise a family? And if you are doing that, what does your life truly look like? And the, what I found from my time diaries, I mean, looking at the actual ways people spent their time, is it's not nearly as ridiculous as all this other stuff, you know, garbage in our culture about, you know, that, that people are never sleeping or working around the clock or never see their kids or, you know, whatever else is there. Like, you know, life looks pretty decent for the vast majority of people who are in these camps. And so, you know, that was what came out of that. And I was definitely able to turn that into a lot of articles and appearances and speeches and whatever else, because it's different. It's not Mm -hmm. what was out there. There was something new to support it. Like I had all this data. Um, And and so that, you know, that's kind of what I think of that would be more of a, a bigger concept book, you know, versus tinier things that, that are, you know, still important and matter a lot, but it's harder to picture that you would get that, you know, novelty and something that hasn't been said before, you know, if you are not then already famous. Right. Are you um, willing to talk to us about your idea generation at the moment in your in your post Tranquility by Tuesday uh, months, yeah. or is that not something you like to? No, talk I'm about? happy to talk about it. I, you know, I'm I'm definitely trying to come up with the next big idea right now. Um, what do you do? Like, what do I do? Good question. Yeah, do you sit? <laughs> do you walk? Do you? Uh, well, drop I consider the myself in wanting to have an idea mode. Right. Like, um, you know, I'm not batting them off the rest of my life, but I'm definitely in the mode where I'm thinking about it now. So if something comes to me, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting topic or that's something I've written about in the past that I've like enjoyed. Like I'm making notes of this, you know, just sort of generally writing it down in notebooks. Um, what I will do, um, you know, I will put on my priority list for the week. I plan my weeks on Friday, so I'm planning my upcoming week. One of my career priorities will be to spend an hour just thinking. And usually what that means is sitting at my computer and typing random things. And and I don't have to come up with anything, but I need to sit for at least an hour. And it's not so much even that I'm going to come up with anything in that hour, but forcing myself to think about it solidly for an hour, you know, trains my brain to be more in that space. And then probably, you know, more stuff will come to me as I'm out running, as I'm out, you know, driving around like, oh, that would be an interesting way of putting it. Or I'll hear something that will trigger, you know, an idea that will then head back to things I've been writing while I've while I've been sitting there. And, you know, I explore like, well, what could I do a new time diary project? Could I is there an, you know group of people I haven't written about that I'd be interested in writing about? Is there, you know, some some topic that I keep coming back to as I'm writing newsletters and blog posts and things like that? And is there a new way to say that? So those are those are the sorts of questions I ask. And how do you know when you're circling around ones that you like or that you'll pursue? Um, so sometimes I, I feel like it's just, you know, there's a hole in the sky sort of moment um, that it, it, it like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to write about. I would say that's it's not entirely that either, though, because I come up with something that I think, OK, this is pretty solid. I could defend this. I'm excited about this. And then, you know, you still need to sell it to a publisher, right? You still have to um, convince them that this is what they want to produce next as well. Um, so there's there's a lot of give and take. Um, and some of that's, you know, I've been, you know, 
all my six-time management books have been with the same publisher, and I imagine if, you know, we were going differently, then there would be an entirely different process. But um, it's been pretty collaborative uh, because of that nature. So you use the word defend. I can defend that. What does that mean? That if people like, you know, but why should I care? Like if somebody asked me, why should I care? I'd be like, well, this is why you should care. And I find myself excited about it and talking about it and not like, oh, I want to change the subject or like, yeah, let's, uh, you know, I'm going to go do something else now. Like in order to sustain your interest in a book for, again, two years, you have to be wanting to know more about it. You have to be wanting to spend more time on it. You have to keep wanting to come back to this. And so, you know, often that's like you you know, are arguing against some sort of thing you think is wrong out there or, um, you know, a topic you really think is underdeveloped and that there's so much fascinating there. So I think those are the kinds of things you have to pay attention to. Your your own passion for something is, is really going to be a critical ingredient if you're going to spend that long writing about it. Ah, that was gold. So good. We will We will get that quote for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. And, and how is it going at the moment? Your, your, I mean, I know your hour is coming, but <laughs> how, how are you feeling about your next idea? Um, you just kind of go on faith that I don't have an idea now, but if I keep thinking about this, most likely in six months, I will have an idea. And that six months isn't wasted. I mean, I'm doing other things, too. It's not like the rest of my life stops. But, uh, you know, in six months, if I have an idea, then that will have been a good use of six months. And, um, you know, just telling myself I've written many books already. I highly (laughs) doubt that Tranquility by Tuesday was my last book. So there will be something else. Like, most likely in two to three years, I will be holding another book that I will then be talking about on various podcasts or shows or in articles or whatever else. And so I don't know what it is, but I'm excited to meet that idea. Like, we're going to be good friends. It's kind of like, you know, if you are expecting a baby, you don't know that baby yet, but you're going to, they're going to be a really cool person. It's going to be exciting. Or if you think about like the people you'll meet in the future, you might have a, a wonderful friend who you don't know yet, but you're going to get to know them in the, in the future. And it's something to look forward to, you know, those are all ways to think about it. More KJ, attitude that's of abundance. That. I was just yeah. going to say that's yeah. the attitude of abundance. It's so beautiful. It makes, it makes, makes me want to think of an idea and write a book. You, you make it seem so, uh, full of hope, which is which is amazing. Yeah, this was great. Um, I think this is really gonna. I hope listeners find it really helpful. I thought it was really great on the the topic of nonfiction ideas. Um, I was excited. Yay! So. Well, good. I hope well, it is helpful. Thanks a ton, everyone. All the information about all Laura's books will absolutely be in the show notes. You should totally run out and grab Tranquility by Tuesday or 168 Hours. Or I like the money one, but you know. <laughs> yeah. all the money in the world. If you want to read it, I, I welcome you to it. I, like yes. I said, I thought it was good, but but uh, it's, you know, just, it's a little different. You, know, you 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 have a take. You have a take, and it's a good take. Everybody's out there looking for their own take. All right, I'm gonna turn us off now. But everyone in listening land, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. Hashtag Am Writing podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. 
Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. KJ, and I feel, stop me if I'm wrong here, that perhaps you or someone you love would enjoy reading one of my books. You Can't Go Wrong with the Chicken Sisters, a tale of rival fried chicken restaurants and rival sisters in a small town trying to solve all their problems via reality TV. Always a good idea. And many readers like In Her Boots even better. That one's a fun story about figuring out who you are, as opposed to who you think everyone wants you to be, that also delivers a literary hoax, a farm life, and an ex who can't seem to find the exit. Or give future you, or anyone you love, a lovely gift by pre-ordering Playing the Witch Card for next Halloween's witchy reading fun. Bookstores, people! Head to one now.